we made it one week with the whole crew before I was like, nope, uh, this week you guys are out because I'm about to come down the mountain. <sighs> so here we are. I uh, This is Travis Thompson coming at you with the Cast and Blast Florida podcast. If you are here to listen to Nate and Emily and I joke about the office, movies, maybe some hunting, maybe some fishing, maybe some conservation, um, probably not going to be a whole lot of joking in this one. I'm going to get right to it. I'm going to preface this by saying this is not our typical episode. So if you let me think about this, how to say it right. If you're here for the good time, maybe check out one of the other episodes. If you've always been here for the other episodes, make sure you listen to this one because it's important and that's why we're doing it. Um, And if you're here for just this one, thank you for being here for this one. Um, It's important. That's why we're doing it. So uh, normally on any normal Tuesday or Wednesday, we're on Wednesdays now, on any normal Wednesday, we try to have a good time. We try to use this as kind of an entry point to talk about the outdoors and make a non-threatening podcast so we can talk about stuff that matters to us. Um, but this past, let's see, on June 22nd, there was some legislation proposed by Andrew Clyde of Atlanta, or he's outside Atlanta, at Georgia, Republican uh, congressman from Georgia. And let me preface this by saying this. We never talk about politics unless it has to do with hunting, fishing, conservation. One of those three topics will talk about politics. But outside that, we do not. So I'm going to talk about this bill, H.R. 8167, extensively in this episode. It's all this episode is going to be about. It's important. If you are a hunter or fisherman nationally but also this is i'm going to tell you why it's particularly important in florida as as this unfolds and this will be a little bit drier i'm obviously i'm hilarious anyway but this will be a little bit of a drier episode than we usually have but i would ask that you hang with me i'm going to try to wrap this up in under 30 minutes i'm going to try to wrap it up in under 25 minutes we'll see how many words i use that i shouldn't um and run over but so we're talking about the return act so again i, I want to say not naive to other stuff going on in the world. I am looking at politics right now through a single issue lens, and that is hunting, fishing, conservation. That is the lens I'm looking at it through, okay? I recognize there's other stuff. I recognize there's economics. I recognize there's gas prices. I recognize there's gun stuff. I recognize there's abortion and Dobbs and all that. I recognize that we are all whole ass people that are listening to this, and none of us agree politically on everything. But one of the things that's always unified us in listening to this podcast, I'm assuming, is your love of wild Florida, your love of conservation. And to some degree, a lot of you have have taken up hunting. I think almost all of you fish. Most of you have fished at some point. Um, So I just want to level set that I'm looking at this through a single issue lens and I'm looking at it through only that lens. I'm going to talk about it like it's the issue as this unfolds, because for, for me right now, this is the issue because it's so important from a hunting, fishing, conservation standpoint. Before I get too far into it, I'm going to tell you two things. One, I'm going to tell you about our good buddy, Fletcher Hallett, who I gave the option of not having an ad on this podcast. So I'll tell you his character. Hallett Insurance, 904-315-5812. If you're in Florida, you need insurance, please reach out to Fletcher. He has supported us for, I think, almost three years now. Um, He is the driving financial force behind this podcast. He makes it happen on a weekly basis, and he's he's a good advocate. I've seen that guy at more meetings than I've seen most people um, up and down the state. Uh, new dad, 
great father, great husband. I don't know if he's a good husband or not. I'm assuming he's a good husband. Amy looks happy. He's, he's got a great wife. I can tell you that. But he's a fisherman. He's a hunter. 904-315-5812. Fhallett at HallettInns.com. Double the L's, double the T's. Hallett for all your insurance needs. Here is the setup. We talk. So my friend, Matt Pierce, my he's my friend, but he's my, he's, we, we partner together on duck hunts um, in the winter. Matt Pierce is a rancher. We've had him on the podcast before. And he told this story a long time ago about how ranchers want to close the gate and work the cattle and not worry about the world going on outside the fence. And how a few years ago, he, he, when he was the, the sitting chair of um, the Florida Cattlemen's Association, every year the chairman or the president picks their own um, slogan or their own kind of theme for the year. And his was share your heritage. And the idea was we need to open the gate and we need to show what we're doing to so many other people because from a rancher standpoint, they've long been demonized for water quality, for development, for, for all these things that kind of like when you really dig into it, doesn't make any sense for a rancher to be demonized for. Um, so when they started to open the gates, when they started to share their story, when they started to share their heritage, to put it in mass terms, they started to see kind of a shift in that. But it's natural. The guy that wants to be a, a rancher wants to go work with cows all day and, and work with his buddies working cows. And, and he's not really, he doesn't want to be around the crowd of people. It's very similar. Matt and I have talked about this at length in the sportsman's world. One of the thing, things that is attractional to us about hunting or fishing, the pursuits that we love, are that we do them in wild places and we do them, you don't do them in mass. You do them, if you do them with other people, you do them with small groups of other people um, you know, a couple of buddies on a hunting trip or a couple of buddies on a fishing trip or, or however that works. So sportsmen want to go to the woods. They want to go to the water and they want to be left alone. And I think, I think this legislation I'm about to talk to you is the perfect example of a time when we can't do that. It's a thing we want to ignore. It's a thing we want to disregard, not worry about, trust that it's just going to be handled. And it's a time when we can't do that. So the bill I'm talking about is called the Return Act. Um, the best thing about this is the acronym because they, they nailed it on the acronym. So that is where the high points end. I'll, I'll give them credit for that. The Return Act stands for the repeal of excise taxes on unalienable rights now. This legit, this sounds like something Leslie Nope would have named. Um, the Return Act is, uh, like I said a minute ago, was created by Andrew Clyde, who is a congressman from Georgia. Um, he basically ran on this legislation. He was a gun shop owner, and his platform was, we're no longer going to have taxes on guns. Owning a firearm is an unalienable right, and because it's an unalienable right, you should not be able to be taxed on it. So um, he did this, they brought this bill forward or brought this legislation around HR 8167 and it has 50, I think at the time of this recording, it's 58 co-sponsors, 56 or 58. Um, from my home state of Florida, there are five co-sponsors. Those are Matt Gates, Byron Donalds, Greg Stubbe, John Rutherford, and Congressman Brian Mast, all five Republicans. Um, the way this legislation would work is because it would repeal excise taxes on those particular on guns and ammo, it would remove the Pittman Robertson fund, which has long since been just a cornerstone of conservation in this country. So 
I'm going to presume that if you've listened to our podcast before, you've heard us dabble into this at some place because I don't think we've ever gone more than about 15 episodes without talking about it. But I'm going to give you a real quick, real quick hit recap of Pittman Robertson. Pittman Robertson is 11% excise tax on long guns and ammo and a 10% excise tax on handguns and revolvers. And this is a tax that is paid by the manufacturer to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And it goes into a fund where it is then reapportioned at the end of the year to states based off the number of hunting licenses they sold. I think there's a couple other factors and it. it's like a hidden recipe somewhere to figure out who gets what. Um, last year, it raised nearly $1.5 billion with a B dollars. Um, it was introduced in 1937. Uh, sportsmen recognized that. So you, you have to go back. And and I, I've gotten in trouble recently with saying a hunter would never do this or a hunter would never do this. But you have, you have to go back. I'm going to differentiate between a hunter and a sportsman for a second. If you go back historically in conservation world, at some point we had things that went extinct, like the passenger pigeon. Like that was technically hunted to extinction. It was market hunted, market hunted. So it was hunted for food. It was hunted for sports some too, but it was, it was hunted for food. And eventually those birds went extinct. Um, around the turn of the 20th century, early 1900s, late 1800s, early 1900s, folks began to recognize that, hey, maybe we don't have unlimited natural resources in this country. That seems far-fetched to say today, but back then it was pretty new because when you think about the vastness of, of uh, the, the American West and, and expansion and uh, manifest destiny, and it seemed like you could, you could cut down trees for years and years and years and never reach the end of them. I, I think... Um, the Buffalo is a great example of it. And I think it was Teddy Roosevelt that once said that he traveled across the, the West and he was never in, he was never out of sight of a dead Buffalo and never in sight of a live one. And at one point the Buffalo were so they're the bison were so great that they just dominated the, the Western plains. So sportsmen began to recognize that, Hey, if we want to have these animals around, we need to do some things to protect, regulate how they're taken, protect the places where they live. See if we can do a better job, uh, with these animals, maybe maybe prevent them from being sold at markets. So that was kind of the the uh, infancy or the 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 beginning of the Lacey Act, which basically canceled all markets for game. Um, and I, we've seen some come back around in Florida, particularly. We have an alligator uh, we have an alligator market fisheries. There's a there's a market for some fisheries stuff, but you can't go shoot a whitetail deer in your local WMA and then sell that meat. That's a violation of the Lacey Act. And the reason that exists is because we don't want to create an economy around hunting deer meat and then selling it on the street. You can raise deer as livestock, just like you can cattle or elk or whatever, sheep, and you can sell that meat, but you have to be licensed and regulated very carefully and everything else to make sure you're not exploiting this wildlife. This is all how conservation works. We've talked about the North American model of wildlife conservation, the seven tenants. One of those is no, uh, the markets for game, no markets for wild game. So... Pittman Robertson was kind of a brainchild, if you will, of how are we going to pay to regulate, manage, acquire land? It's similar to the duck stamp. We've talked about the duck stamp in the past, which is is uh, $25 a year now, 98% of it. So $24.50 has to go to U.S. Fish and Wildlife for use in the National Wildlife Refuge Program, which has raised a billion dollars, $1.1 billion in over 
conserved over 6 million acres in the National Wildlife Refuge System since it was invented. I think, I think it was created in the late 30s, like even a little bit after 37. So Pittman-Robertson was created in 37. It was passed. Um, and it's at that excise tax that is used then for conservation programs specific to hunting. Um, about, and I don't have the date in front of me, about 15 years later, I think it was the early 50s, maybe mid 50s, there was a Companion Act passed called the Dingle Johnson Act, um, which I'm going to get my timelines a little wrong here, but I'm, because of, of the, I'm going off memory, I think that became Wallop Bro at some point, or Wallop Bro was in addition to that. And then we now call it the Sport Fish Restoration Act. And those are excise taxes on fishing tackle which are then apportioned back to the states, similar to the way that ammo, guns and ammo funds are apportioned back to the states. And then those are used for um, things like boat ramps or fishery programs or whatever. So we have this we have this world we live in where a hunter goes and buys a license and then he goes and buys a gun and he goes and buys ammunition. And there's some number of dollars collected by U.S. Fish and Wildlife, which are then, he also pays his state license fees then those dollars are apportioned back to the state. So I think in Florida last year, and I'm going to be, I'm, these are fuzzy numbers, but they're pretty close. I think in Florida, we expected to raise about seven and a half million dollars on license fees from hunting licenses. And we get back about $20 million from Pittman Robertson. So a hunter therefore is, is worth, you know, crude math off the back of a napkin about, three dollars federally for every dollar he spends in state this is important and this is really important because in most states not florida but in most states those dollars are what fund most of your state wildlife conservation programs so whatever your dnr is in your state is usually heavily funded by license sales and federal excise tax federal excise tax dollars that come back to the state there are states, I want to say it's Mississippi, where it's 90% of the state wildlife agency budget. Um, that's significant. In Florida, now, I should also say this. For a long time, there has been pushback that hunters and anglers should not be the only ones carrying the conservation load from a funding standpoint. And so there have been conversations around doing things like backpack taxes, like putting a tax on, an excise tax on camping gear or, or uh backpack gear, hiking gear, whatever, so that that level of money could come back to the states. Um, recently, I think we passed RAWA in the House. We're waiting to pass it in the Senate. I could be backwards on that because RAWA is not my favorite thing, and I'll, I can get into that later. But anyway, <laughs> that probably raised some eyebrows too. I could explain that away as well, but I'll explain it in a minute anyway when I explain Florida funding. But RAWA, Recovering America's Wildlife Act, is a tax on um, extraction fees, so gas or oil extraction fees, that is then paid into U.S. Fish and Wildlife, and through Pittman-Robertson is apportioned back to the states, but can't be used for hunting purposes. Has to be, It can be used for habitat, which I guess could benefit hunting, but one of the ideas that was presented out there was keeping common species common. So um, we fund game species, we fund endangered species, but we don't fund... I'm making this up, striped skunks or cardinals or the, the kind of the common species. Where are we getting the management for that and the insurance, the assurances that we have the habitat for that? Um, so most states, 
most of their funding comes through licenses, licenses and or direct dollar contributions back based off hunting and angler participation, hunter and angler participation. Florida recognized that, hey, we are not going to be able to keep up. So we've got to come up with a different model here. So um, several years back, quite a few years back, we started putting a doc stamp on house sales, the document stamp on house sales. We have a gas tax. And those two things um, create most of our wildlife agency budget. So I said hunters and fishermen are worth, or hunters are worth about 20, I think it's 27.9 million in this year's FWC budget. That's the number between Pittman-Robertson dollars and uh, license sales. FWC's total budget is about $450 million, 453, I'm not sure what the final number was, but that's about where it was on the proposed. Um, so the, the percentage of dollars, including Pittman-Robertson dollars that are contributed by hunters in the state of Florida is 6.2%. If we did away with those Pittman-Robertson dollars, if we took them away, the percentage of funds contributed by hunters is 1.6% of our state wildlife budget. So if you've ever, if you're a hunter and you've ever stood up in front of a room of environmentalists or a room of bird watchers or whatever, and they're like, oh, you're a hunter. And you've said, yes, but hunters are the original conservationists. That's true. But what we love to say is hunters do so much for conservation. Hunters carry the load for conservation. Hunters are the conservationists. Conservation exists. That's a problem, particularly in Florida. Okay. So there's two ways hunting gets to exist. One is you could have it as a constitutional right. Um, our, our, I'm not a scholar. I'm not a, I'm not that smart. I'm, I'm parroting a little bit of, of what I've read and what I've learned, but, the U.S. Constitution is a limiting document. It limits. State, our, Florida's state constitution is an empowering document. It gives powers. Um, we are not empowered in the state of Florida with the right to hunt and fish. So at that point, what reason do you have for hunting and fishing? I mean, we've always done it. No one kind of imagined that we'd look into a world where maybe we wouldn't do it. But the simple fact of it is it's an economic driver. As long as it's economically viable to have hunting on the landscape, you will have hunting. I'm going to separate hunting and fishing at this point in this conversation because fishing is a huge economic driver in Florida. Huge economic driver in Florida. I think if you took fishing and isolated it out as a even from the recreation sector, it would be the third largest industry in Florida or something like that. I've heard that number from Rick Murphy before. It's close. It's it's a it's a significant 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 number. So I'm going to talk specifically about hunting for just a second here. Hunting doesn't have the footprint in Florida economically to be a concern anymore. And we don't have the right to hunt and fish. Now, don't text me uh, Florida statute 379.104, which is the legislator recognizing that the right to hunt and hunting and fishing should exist in Florida. That's the legislature. That's not the constitution. That's not the state. Um, that could be overturned. It could be overruled. It's fluid. It, it's, it's honestly, I don't want to say it this flippantly because I appreciate the notion that went into writing it, but it's not really worth the paper it's written on. Okay. That's also, if you remember last year, we did a hunter harassment. That's also covered under 379.104. So, and if you remember, we, people were basically harassing hunters pretty regularly last season and we were okay with it and rolling around with it. So don't tell me that right. That, 
that 379-104 really protects us um, on the landscape of Florida. The one thing that does protect us is the federal contribution matching our license dollars. Now, I'm going to I'm gonna pivot just a little bit more. First, I'm going to explain the RAWA concerns that I have. And this is not about RAWA, but I am going to explain them just because you're here and you're listening. But if you... If you give Florida 38 million in Rawa dollars, which is what we would, that's kind of what I've heard from their um, lobbyists and stuff that we would expect to get. If you give us 38 million in Rawa dollars, we're getting 38 million without my user fee or the matching contributions for my user fee for doing nothing that can go to manatees or it can go to whatever, um, which I'm fine with that, but you've tied me and my value to the state to an economic source, this is not Travis's opinion. This goes back to Shane Mahoney and Valerius Geis and the North American model of conservation. Like the funding model we have in North America is unique to North America and it is imperative to the system that we have for wildlife conservation. So if you pass Rawa, um, just off the top, you diminish the value of hunters. And I'm not saying raw was bad. I'm just saying it diminishes the value of hunters as a percentage. In Florida, it drops us about a percent simply in the value of our contribution to the state wildlife agency budget now because we've got another 38 million coming in through raw funding. Um, it also drops us further as if you removed Pittman-Robertson, <laughs> we get down to about 1.4% as a value to the state as a, to the state's wildlife agency. So um, I've got some questions here that are not going to make me any friends or influence probably anyone, but I think they're questions that I wish somebody would ask. I wish these were being asked at a national scale. I wish to like, holy hell, they were being asked in Florida by someone other than me. Um, and the first one is probably the hardest one. Where are our environmental friends? Um, and what I mean by that is, we go and we support a whole lot of conservation stuff that's beyond hunting and fishing. We support clean water. We support habitat improvements. We support um, protection of lands. We support land conservation. We support all this stuff, right? Like we're on the team. We are, we are out there. You've seen us at the things. But take the wildlife corridor, for for instance. And, and maybe these folks don't know about this shit. Maybe this is new to them because it's not like been around for months and months and months as legislation. But I do think it's a thing that these folks need to step up and kind of be on our team and oppose. If you look at the wildlife corridor, 19% of the lands in the Florida wildlife corridor um, were, can, were paid for by sportsman's dollars. So those are WMAs, they're NWRs, they're forests, whatever. They're paid for by sportsman's dollars. I got that number at the wildlife corridor summit. I wrote it down in my little notebook back in April. So it was 19% at that time. Might be a little bit less now, but it's not gonna be significantly less. Um, so basically a fifth of the wildlife corridor framework acquired by sportsman's dollars. Moreover, that's not including the fact that we as sportsmen are also citizens. So we're also contributing money that's being used in other areas to acquire lands. And that's not including the idea of conservation easements being able to be used as a revenue stream for hunting leases by landowners. I participate in that with, with landowners. I think it's a great program. However, there's a significance to sportsmen on the landscape when it comes to conservation, be it either as a revenue stream to the landowner on top of the easement that they pay, or be it to acquisition of 
lands historically that are now being used as the framework for this green infrastructure. So it'd be really nice if some of our friends would stand up and say, you know what? These guys have carried the load for a long time. We're on their team. You guys need to shut this shit down. Like, I, 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 I'm not going to say names. I'm not going to, but I'm, I'm just going through my head. Like the number of people that I've talked to and met with over the years are like, oh man, yeah, hunters were the original conservationists. And then when you look around the state of Florida, when you look around the state of Florida, and you look at our legislature, legislature, and you look at our um, our delegation to to D.C. I'm not sure where the connection to sportsmen exists, and I'm going to say this very very carefully. I wrote this on Facebook. I'm going to say it very very carefully. If you get on an airplane and you fly to a ranch in Texas and you shoot a nil guy, I don't care. That's fine. I'm not against any of that. Good for you. Rock, rock and roll. But you're not a Florida sportsman. If that's if that's your in, entree into hunting and fishing as a Floridian, it's not a thing that you're doing. If if the if the only experience or exposure that you have to hunting and fishing or to hunting in Florida is not actually hunting in Florida, like we we are applying for quota permits. That was a big deal two weeks ago. We talked about it on the podcast. STAs, walk-in lines, boat races on public waters. Uh, competition on romp and stomps, running dogs, not running dogs, be, being allowed to, to go into areas that with your dogs. Florida is a very, very um, tough needle to thread if you are a sportsman. And not having that connectedness in an elected official has become, to me, to Travis, one person, alarming. I don't think we have the connectedness anymore to where elected officials understand what the Florida sportsman is facing. Moreover, I think that we are kind of taken for granted in that conversation because the assumption in Florida, again, the assumption in Florida is that no matter what sportsmen are going to vote Republican, they're going to blindly vote that way. And I'm looking around and I'm seeing nothing but Republican sponsors on this bill. And I'm a registered Republican. Let me let me just be candid with you about that. Like, I'm not saying I have fealty to that party, but I'm a registered Republican. It's what I grew up as. We're sitting here and now we just got our legs taken out from under us from guys that we have celebrated as kind of being the guys that represented sportsmen. And I'm just not sure how to move forward from that. I'm not sure where our champion is anymore. I'm not sure. I I asked this uh, last year in an FWC meeting in December up in Destin, you know, on the, on the commissioners, on the commissioners that, that are appointed by the governor. Um, we have a number of them that are very, very, very passionate about fishing. Um, they all live on the East coast of Florida, quick jump out to the, to the deep water. They offshore fish, they inshore fish, they grew up fishing, not a fault of any of them. I love to fish. Um, and then we have a uh, commissioner Lester, who I think very highly of as well. Good character, man. Commissioner Lester is very passionate about bass fishing. So, when a bass issue comes up, Commissioner Lester kind of takes the lead on it and asks the questions and kind of drills into it. And some of the other guys do a little bit, but you can tell that they're not in that world as much as Lester is. And I've asked the question, where's our hunting guy? Like, who's the guy up there that cares about hunting in Florida, that's passionate about hunting in Florida? And I don't know where that is. I don't know where it is in the legislature. I don't know where it is in the D.C., the 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 the, the delegation to D.C., our, our uh, Florida caucus in, in D.C., if you will. Um, and I think that's a pretty reasonable question from a state that votes overtly for one party 
in in most of the rural areas where most of the sportsmen live i think that's a i think that's a pretty reasonable question i'm not sure who that is um who's our guy who's our girl third i'm going to ask where are the leaders um and i <laughs> i'm just not sure how to ask this well without getting myself in trouble so I'll, I'll just assume if you're listening to this you'll know that it is not from a from a place of malice it's just a guy asking a question, but where are the leaders? Are we so stuck in our political strategies that we have no compass for leadership anymore? Um, we just want to play the game. Um, I, I keep hearing this bill is going to die. This bill is going to die. And I want to know who's going to stand up and speak and say, well, this bill was idiotic and I can't believe, and they don't have to say it that crassly, but this bill is idiotic. And P.S. Andrew Clyde, we're sponsoring whoever runs against you in the next election. Like, P.S. Like we're so wrapped around the axle on sexy issues sometimes that we can't even see the what's right in front of us. And this guy is out there presumably courting hunters and fishermen. And then he's going to undercut the very thing that makes us relevant in so many states. I think there's only 12 states, maybe 16 states that have a right to hunt and fish. And they would shock you as the ones that do. Um, if it's so low risk, this is the other thing. Everyone's like, well, it's not going to pass. It's not going to pass. It's not going to pass. Don't worry about it. Yeah. But that's not necessarily how this stuff works. Like if this gets steam and comes back next year with a couple of little amendments or whatever hung to it, changed to it, not, not in amendment amendments, but if they, they modify it a little bit and bring it back, I don't know what kind of deals are being shaken, what kind of hands are being shaken behind the scenes to agree to support this in the future trading of votes and whatever else come on man kill this now stand on its neck and 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 kill it now this is not something you want to screw around with i i don't understand why folks with influence out there in the world are not jumping up and down on this bill and i i, I do understand the idea of we don't want to shine a light on it well if we're so weak we can't shine a light on this and beat it down we're too weak to keep playing. Like that's, that's always kind of been my mindset. I'm going to say this very candidly as a guy from Florida, there's two schools of thought you have in the hunting conversations around the world. And I've had this with leaders of NGOs in Florida is that hunting's not going to exist in 50 years, a hundred years in Florida. It's just not. And I have a philosophical problem with that. If that's the case, that's like me going to the basketball game and saying, Hey guys, we just want to keep it close, but we know we're going to lose in the fourth quarter. That's idiotic. No one's going to show up to play. No one's going to give their best. You have to come in with a winner's, winner's mentality. You have to come in with a winner's mindset. You have to come in thinking we are going to come in here and give it everything we've got to make this thing the best it can be. It's why we fought so hard for RHAs in Florida. It's why we fought so hard for hunter recruitment. It's why I go up there and get smacked, just slap in the face by the chairman of our commission regularly for saying stuff that makes sense. Because if we're not going to play this game, what the hell are we even doing? Why are we fundraising? Why are we efforting? Why are we doing all the stuff that we say that we care about if we're not going to do this the right way? So if it's so low risk, let's kill it. Let's join together. Let's stand on top of it and let's kill it. Um, let's use our power and influence and stomp it until it's dead. Those are the questions I have. I have, I have two more things. One is if you are in Florida, and you want to reach out to one of those congressmen. Um, and yesterday we had a number of folks call Congressman Stubbe's office. I'm going to give you that phone number. It's 
225-5792. Can I just say something? Emailing a congressman is the most idiotic. Like we live in e frick. We live in America. How is it possible that to email a congressman, I have to go quantify myself, qualify myself by putting my name, address, and zip code in before I can email them? Did you know? Did you know? And if you if if you take nothing away from this, you should leave irate at what I'm about to tell you. You don't have to live in the district you are elected in. You just have to live in the state. So in other words, I could run for Congress in the Florida first congressional district, which is Matt Gates's district up in like Pensacola. I could run and get elected to that and live in Polk County. There is no law preventing that. I would not be able to send myself an email through the ushouse.gov system because my address wouldn't qualify me to send the stupid email. This is where we're at. So we've been calling offices for the past five, six, seven days. Um, you call the office and if you don't live in district, they like to dismiss you outright. And I think, well, wait a second. Are you just the congressman for that district? Or do you, because this seems like a, you co-sponsor a bill that maybe affects me. And I would maybe like to have some input on that. Um, just bullshit, man. That is, <laughs> if that doesn't just send you over the, the edge, I don't know what else does. The fact that you don't have to live in district to run the district, but you do have to live in district to contact. So you can go online. You can, you, I guess you can fake fake a zip code or something so you can send an email. But what I recommend is picking up the phone, calling. It takes like, people were telling me it took, took like 45 seconds. You call, they answer the phone. You say, hi, my name is, and you insert your name here. And you say, I'd like to voice my opposition to HR 8167. And they're going to ask, they may ask why, and you can give them the reasons why if you want to, or that's it. You just say, I want to voice my opposition. I want you to log my opposition, record my opposition. They may then ask for your zip code or whatever else, your first name, last name for spelling, just to keep a log of it. That's fine. That's all you got to do. 202-225-5792 is Congressman Stubbe's office. Um, in DC, get anyone you want to call. Stubby's kind of the one that's that's frustrated me the most because although he's not my congressman, his district ends like two street over, two streets over from mine. I've met with him in DC before. He is a he. I believe he is a hunter. I mean, he's got. If I remember correctly, he had some kind of Ducks Unlimited plaque or something in his office. Um, he presents himself as a sportsman. I know that he 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 loves cattle. Um, his district is now shifting, but for a long time he had like the Okeechobee, Clouston. Um, or the Okeechobee, Sebring, Bartow area, a lot of a lot of the overlap with where I hunt, where I fish, where I've grown up. Um, so th- this is one that's kind of personal and, and kind of bothers me in my core. It's, it's embarrassing a little bit because it's a guy you support, it's a guy you hold up, and now he's like, oh, well, I didn't think this would matter to you guys, so sorry. Um, that's, a, that's a hard pill to swallow, and that's a hard pill – to, to walk back. Like I said, it's embarrassing a little bit. Um, I expect this kind of behavior from, from Congressman Mast, um, based off what I've seen from Mast over the past couple of years, he's very erratic. He doesn't understand conservation as far as he could throw it. I don't really know, um, Rutherford or Gates at all. I also, uh, Donald staff, Congressman Donald staff has been willing to talk to us. So hopefully we'll have a good meeting with them later this week. He's listed again as a sponsor. And I should say in, in Congressman Stubbe's defense, his staff has been willing to reach out and talk to us, but I don't think they understand the severity of this thing. And I think it's because we want to go to the woods and not worry about making a phone call. 
I think it's because we don't push back on the things that matter to us when they matter to us. And we end up with this type of situation where we now have a congressman that's out there kind of working almost against us. No, not almost against us, working against us on this thing that matters a great deal to us. It's a thing that we've all used. Like I said, I, I can't tell you, if you've listened to this podcast, this is episode 226 plus about a hundred interviews, 80 interviews, something like that. So 300 some odd podcasts we've done. And I will guarantee you no less than 40 times we've talked about Pittman Robertson and hunting and the connection and how that keeps us on the landscape in Florida. You can go read the North American model of wildlife conservation. You can go listen to Shane Mahoney's uh, reflections on conservation or whatever he calls this crazy ass podcast. You go listen to that stuff. You can get to this point. It's not that it's not a big reach. I would just love for our congressman in Florida to recognize the precarious and dicey situation they have put us in and the complete and total disrespect they've treated us with in putting us in that situation. And I'm sorry that's so strong, but it's how it is. I mean, I'm emotional about that because it's frustrating. This is a, this is a, this is a thing that is obviously near and dear to our heart. And it's a thing that we need to care about. Um, so there you go. If you're still with us, I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you giving me, I said, I'd do it another 30 minutes. I failed miserably, but thanks for listening. Give Stubby's office a call. Uh, give your local Congressman a call, send them an email, let them know that you do not support HR eight one six seven or any rollbacks to Pittman Robertson. Um, by the way, if they've come up, but they put a cap. So last year, Pittman Robertson raised $1.5 billion. Um, they were going to put a cap on it with this modification through the excise taxes of 800 million. I, I'm just shaking my head. You can't hear me shaking my head. Nothing's rattling cause it's empty, but I'm shaking my head because of the absurdity of that. But they just came up with $800 million from someplace else to fund allegedly hunting and fishing programs. We'll still take that money. We just still want it with the excise taxes. So it's attached to our user dollar amount. I'm tired of being a guy that has to pay to use a resource and has no one having my back on it. Governor DeSantis, oh, I said I was done. I'm not. Governor DeSantis, when he talks about conservation, every time he's standing up on a stage talking about conservation, he's not standing up there ever with a hunter, ever. There, There's no hunters in the room. There's no hunters in the circle. There's no hunters in the photo op. There's no hunters considered in any of the shit that they sign or do. I, I don't know what to do about that. We are being ignored so they can stand up there. And I'm a fan. I am a huge fan. I love the wildlife corridor. I love it. I I'm a fan of it. I'm a supporter of it. I love conservation, Florida and the land trust. I love what the ranchers are doing. I love all of these things, but at the end of the day, we deserve to be a part of that team. I'm not saying Travis, I'm saying we sportsmen deserve to be a part of that team. And you can't just disregard us because now we want to court the middle vote on whatever the bird watcher is or the manatee hugger is or whatever it is. I love birds. I love manatees. I'm a fan of those things, but you can't just disregard sportsmen in that conversation outright and expect us to just continue to vote and toe the line. Moreover, that's just, man, that's crappy behavior. So Sorry for the rant. You got the rant. It's unfiltered. It's unfettered. That's where I'm at. You guys know how to get a hold of me. Tell me what you think. Hope everyone has a great week. Y'all stay woke. Mm-hmm.